Okay, welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of Five Things, the podcast brought to you by Grey Group and Social Media Week, uh, where every week we're going to talk about five important things that happen in the world of social and digital in a sort of roundtable experience, for those of you who haven't listened before, where we're going to cover everything from creative inspiration, case studies, what's in the news, drama, and more. And every week we promise a bit of banter. Um, this week there'll probably be more than last week because your main host is back. I'm proud to say I'm back on the mic. Even Ira Glass gets replaced occasionally, but I do want to thank Toby Daniels for, as our American chums say, pinch hitting last week. I listened to the episode. It probably was better than I do. So uh, thanks, mate. It was a distinct pleasure. It was really, uh, you did a brilliant job and I appreciate it. So we're back in the room, as is Kenny Gold. Kenny and I were away last week, um, but we're back in full force this week. And this week's five things, without further ado, oh, my gosh. See, I'm away for a week, and I've already messed up the intro piece where I introduce our esteemed guests. And this week, we have, we have two new faces, a returning face and a brand new face. The first of those is Ian Schaefer, uh, who is the co-founder and CEO of Kindred and the former global chairman and founder of a brilliant agency called Deep Focus. Very happy to have Ian with us today. Thanks, mate. It is wonderful for my face to be yes. in an audio podcast. Okay, good, Thank good. You. Nice. Uh, and then we also have Andy Yancho back with us, who is our director of experiential here at Gray. And you were with us a couple of weeks back, Andy. I was, yeah. So you're an old hand at this. Now. Yeah, it's right. Can you, Ian, before we get into the subjects, the yeah. topics, what we've been doing recently is just headlining what Kindred is and does, and 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 then we'll touch on that again at the end as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, Kindred is is a company that's meant to accelerate the rate at which uh, companies transform their businesses for uh, sustainability and purpose, right? And so our first product is actually an event that is a week after Social Media Week um, on a different coast uh, in, uh, in San Diego um, from May 11th to the 14th, where we're bringing uh, over 2,000 brand, nonprofit, and cultural leaders together to honestly like figure that stuff out, right? How do everyone plays a role in that whole ecosystem of making the world a better place, but also um, making money while doing so. Otherwise, those two things will constantly be at odds with one another and they'll move uh, even more slowly than government. So uh, as people now trust businesses more than government to make those kinds of decisions, um, we wanna obviously like make those decisions happen more often. So, uh, so yeah, so that's what that's what. That's fantastic. We'll we'll link out to your guys' site in the notes, and before we finish, we'll 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 recap on that because it's great. fascinating stuff. Um, today's subjects, the topics, the five things today. We're going to cover Reddit announcing their tagboard partnership, Instagram teasing uh, IGTV monetization, Google announcing cookies withdrawal, Google also announcing AI photo printing, and then uh, we're going to finish off the five things with Facebook being hacked by Kenny Gold. Um, Kenny Gold? <laughs> Whoa. No. Is that, wait, is that breaking news? It is breaking news. Kenny hacked Facebook. To everyone listening, including Zuck and Cheryl, I did not hack the platform. Please do not revoke my privileges. Ke Kenny's number, should you want to reach him, is... Uh, all right, Ken, you're going to start us with Reddit announcing Tagboard partnership. Yeah, so Reddit announced its partnership with Tagboard, which will facilitate the connection with broadcasters to easily display Reddit content on TV. Not a novel thing for the social networks, but something new for Reddit. So the deal uh, will see posts and conversations extend beyond the web page, which is the normal Reddit experience. And the company they're partnering with is Tagboard, board, which allows broadcast networks to easily display content that lives on social media on TV. For Reddit, this will include unique content like the Ask Me Anything series, Photoshop battles, as well as some of the more uh, popular posts and comments that make news on the website. 
And this will give them access to 250 of the largest global broadcast entities to really leverage the voice of Redditors on broadcast news, sports, and entertainment shows. I love it. I think it's awesome. Uh, I am a, a daily Redditor, and the concept of some of that great content being translated into uh, mainstream media, or as our president calls it, MSM, uh, is very uh, exciting for me, and I think for a lot of people out there. Uh, it'll be, it'll certainly add a layer of authenticity and excitement to some of the pro uh, programs that we watch on a regular basis. Can you talk a little bit more about like Tagboard? Sure. What do you want to know about them? They're a company that has created, I'm not going to let you ask me the question again. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, they're a company that has created technology that allows uh, a lot of the content that you see live on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook be integrated into broadcast. So for example, my football team, the Philadelphia Eagles, they partnered with Tagboard so that you could take great Instagram photos from the stadium, great tweets about the team, and then when you see uh, broadcast stories about the Eagles, that's actually integrated into it. So if you remember a while back, there was a spot that the NFL did that showed uh, the live view from different users from different parts of a stadium. That can be aggregated with Tagboard and put into a broadcast. ESPN uses it quite a bit. NFL Network uses it quite a bit. Uh, and it's just a, a, an interesting way to translate what is primarily content that lives on mobile into the broadcast experience. Can I ask you, you may not know the answer to this, and if, for putting you on the spot, I apologize. But um, how, do they, how does the user, in that case the provider of content, Get to, is that monetized to them or no? No. So when you when I when I agree to this, I, I I hand that all over for free. I mean, I think that the the thought is, and I don't know the specifics of like the legality of who owns the content. Right. I think when people use a certain hashtag or they're or they're promoting content of their team or their esports experience or yeah. whatever it is, they're putting it out into the world, and then this company is aggregating it in a space that could then turn it into a story. Frankly, the people who are posting the content don't have the rights to use the people that right, they're true. putting in the content. True. So yeah. you know, there's a, there's a mutual Mutual, um, you know, but there's there's a community reward in there too, right? So if like your post gets popular, you get pushed to the front page of Reddit, or people choose to give you no relation gold, right? right? For you know for for doing or for posting a good post. Yeah. What I also think is interesting about it is that it's finally, man, Reddit. I feel like has been powering the television production business in terms of the topics that they choose you know for a long time right and so finally i guess this is like reddit's time on television itself um, i mean, I know they've tried with some like original programming in the past like reddit tv but but this is something where now finally like they're getting credit for maybe breaking stories um, that are being referenced on the news broadcasts and they've just never gotten credit for it. That's, that to me is where it's the most interesting yeah. because they really are the front page of the internet. They are where most things in culture originate. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the fact now that it could be, there's 250 broadcasters. This is including like 51 plus local news stations. This is gonna right. become a, a very fascinating content source for these broadcasts. I mean, they may well be the front page of the internet, but for a long time and for many people who are perhaps not that familiar with Reddit, it, it's been a challenge to kind of like really engage with the content if you're not like a, a, a deep kind of committed Reddit user, right? So what we're really talking about here is a kind of a layer, a user interface or a layer that sits on top of Reddit that starts to give people a way in um, into the kind of the, the content and the data and all that sort of all, all that stuff, which you know didn't previously exist before. And these use cases, I think, are kind of super yeah. interesting. Doesn't but isn't Reddit <laughs> is such like a niche community of people though? So do, how do redditors feel about having this go mainstream and on? 
but I think we, I think we have to be pretty honest with the fact that Reddit content has been permeating on other channels well yeah. before this. Yeah. So if you think about where meme culture really did originate and mm -hmm. the fact that it's their content's been on Instagram, it's been on Twitter, it's been on Facebook, it's been shared. It's just now they are adding another distribution channel and giving the and Reddit is taking advantage of the ability to be a part of the aggregation and control it a little bit further. I don't think yes, like the nascent use of Reddit and being able to upvote and be a part of the Reddit community is niche. But I think Reddit content has been out in the mainstream for a very long time. Yeah. This is just okay. another distribution And there channel. were Reddit posts that are just as like consequential as, as tweets have been. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's face yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move us past Reddit, although it's interesting. And actually, I wonder if it's worth us bringing back our friend from Reddit and we'll resurface this with him when we can get him back on the podcast. But uh, I, I'd like to bring him back and get his perspective on with that With working too. mics? We'll try and get the mics working for that. Okay. Uh, or we'll just gather the audience in a large room and discuss it. Okay. The other option. So the second one we're going to cover is Instagram teasing IGTV monetization. Andy? Yeah. So Instagram did just that. They teased in monetizing IGTV. Uh, so what does this mean? Instagram adding the capacity uh, to generate real direct income for I from IGTV uh, could help uh, retain top creators and help lure new ones in. I think it's interesting. IGTV is kind of, in my opinion, a struggling feature within Instagram. So I think it's just another kind of desperate way to get the platform up and running again. Um, yeah. But like, lever like we don't know anything about what this monetization level actually means. There's no criteria for length of video or like what what that's going to be. So it'll the, be interesting. The fact that you've got the YouTube creator network is so rich yeah. and it fosters such a great community. You've got Quibi now coming out in April and they're starting to foster, you know, rich development of content. There, There's no shortage of platforms for creators to create against. I think IGTV in theory was a good thought. And to your point, it has not been exploding the way I think Instagram and Facebook probably planned for it to explode. So adding this layer in probably creates a new opportunity for yeah. these creators. You know, I, I sit in a ton of meetings where we're like, we'll come up with an IGTV idea. Mm -hmm. It never comes to fruition. I think it is a very, very difficult proposition. Um, and it's sometimes these channels are victims to trying to be everything for everyone. And maybe this yeah. isn't it. What, what is the difficult proposition though? Is it just live rather than it's IGTV? It's just live in general. Facebook live struggled. IGTV is, is, um, is struggling. Like what, you know, what, what is the real issue and then who's doing it right? I, I think it's just how people are using the platform. Instagram in its nature was just static images and scrolling. So it was living in that singular feed, but now, I read an article that more people are watching IGTV through the click out from what they're seeing in their feed. So Instagram removed that icon from their home screen. So I think it's just how people are using the platform. It's just not it's just not there yet from a user perspective. And who's doing live stream well? I think we look at things like YouTube Live or Twitch and we're seeing the ability for streamers to connect with consumers and have their content be consumed. I think about it this way. The second screen experience still exists. People like to be on their phones and watch live at the same time. When you are watching IGTV or Instagram Live or Facebook Live, it stops you from being able to do anything else on your phone because you're not generally walking around with a, a laptop and watching it there. So I think that creates a troubling uh, balance. Yeah. Doesn't it speak to the nature of these platforms in general in terms of how they, they tend to try you know, avenues out that oftentimes don't work. There's been plenty of those from all of them. Isn't this just another example of that? They're trying to work out a way to make this happen, but if it doesn't stick, 
They'll just move on to the next thing. Yeah, isn't that Zuckerberg's whole thing, fail fast? I think he's changed that since the failing fast meant they were also effing up on a regular basis. Yeah, but I, th I think my point was like more to do with the fact that Twitch, you know, found its kind of niche in the sense that there was a huge amount of like pent up demand for people watching other people playing games live. Um, that's a very specific and was at the time at least a very narrow use case. Um, if you just come out with just a, a, a general purpose um, um, live broadcast tool that exists within um, an existing application, like what's the UK? What is the actual application of that live tool? So correct me if I'm wrong, IGTV isn't only live, right? Like, so when I watch like a Netflix, uh, like I, somehow I, the algorithm has found me and, and, and it's exploiting me, but the, the <laughs> Netflix like is a joke account, right? Like which pushes like a lot of stand-up stuff like if you watch like more than 30 seconds of it you pop it out and then it becomes yes. like IGTV yep. Correct. and I actually think that's like a nice experience so I don't have to like open another app mm -hmm. like if it's just longer form video that is kind of bigger than the feed and and I guess technically more engaging than stories like that's like a fine feature to me now to turn it into this like a new product like maybe it's somewhere between a feature and a product mm -hmm. but I, like I'm all for a kind of longer content in there you know, but there's probably some limit as to how many features Facebook can cram into Instagram. That's what I love about it. So Netflix is a fantastic example. They did something during Pride where uh, they took all of the actors and actresses who were in their um, in their different shows that were coming up in the months to come, and you saw a teaser in the feed, and then you popped down, you saw a long form video. That was awesome. That I love. Yeah. Um, you know, I think. Stick to that. Show us. It's almost like you get to see the experience behind the the in feed experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that is it working correctly. So does monetization help or hurt it? We'll see. I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can guess right now. I think it's going to help. It. Oh, and by the way, on Twitch, the, there people are watching non gaming content just as much as they're watching. Gaming. No, I know. I, we we talked about that a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. On this podcast. <laughs> in on fact, the, in fact, the, the just chatting streams. Are more popular yeah, for the first time ever in Twitch's history. All right, let's move on. Yes. Number three, uh, Google announcing cookies withdrawal. Tobe, not new news. In fact, this is probably about a month old now. But the reason why I wanted to. But our fingers on the pulse is what you're well, saying. Well, actually, the reason why I wanted to feature it, or, or well, a we haven't covered it, and b I think there are obviously pretty significant implications for our industry, and I think it would be great to get everyone's like take on that, especially uh, you guys at Gray. Um, you know, given that obviously it will have an impact on the work you do with your clients. But the news is that after months, probably more like years of speculation, Google has finally confirmed that it will join Safari and Firefox in withdrawing support for third-party cookies. Uh, the real important piece of information here that gets like oftentimes buried is that this is going to be something that happens over the course of the next two years. So it will be two years before um, this is fully rolled out. Um, obviously, we've seen explosive growth of the ad tech ecosystem over the course of the last few years. Uh, much of that growth is in uh, is due in large part to advertisers' ability to use third-party products to follow customers around the web, understanding their behaviors and preferences, and then serve targeted advertising to them efficiently via digital media. So what does this sort of mean for the industry or what are the implications for the industry? Well, Chrome makes up 69% of desktop uh, browsing and 40% of mobile. Um, they're basically, which basically accounts for more than half of all 
web traffic. So obviously this has pretty significant implications. So in the short term, marketers will lose an instrumental method that they currently use to target many of their customers. And in the long term, they're gonna to have to find a more sustainable solution that's more direct and personal to the consumer. This is a bit of a wolf is a wolf being dressed up in sheep's clothing in the sense that, you know, Google likes to talk about this in terms of like privacy. Um, this serves Google more than it does anybody else, particularly uh, from a commercial standpoint. So it's important to kind of unpack it and understand what it really means. Um, there have been a few kind of interesting quotes from folks that represent ad tech companies because they're obviously going to be impacted significantly, as will publishers. Um, and obviously, the general consensus is that everyone's going to have to basically rebuild everything from scratch um, over the course of the next two years to essentially build a new ad tech ecosystem that um, conforms to a lot of these like new changes and an ad tech ecosystem that ultimately and, and presumably will better serve the consumer from a privacy standpoint. So that's what's going on. What do you guys think? So the slow rollout is ostensibly to give the ad tech companies, which are the bread and butter to a Google, the ability to retool and create appropriate mechanisms to target and understand their audience. I mean, we, you know, the theory is we'll get a better internet as a result in two years' time, and that's the time frame over which we, we have to, as an industry, begin to kind of rebuild and rethink you know, how we do this type of, of, of targeting. Ian, what, what are your thoughts on this? I know you're, you're, you're out of the ad business, but I'm sure you have strong opinions on this. <laughs> Every time I get out, they keep trying to pull me back in. Uh, that's, the, what this, that's what this is. It's yeah, a kind of intervention. I appreciate yeah. that. So, so yeah. the, uh, I, I mean, look, doesn't this just all but assure that Google gets more cents out of every dollar? Mm -hmm. Right? It's just eliminating, like, Google has second or first, in some cases, like party cookies. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, all right, so we're just going to slice the long tail off of all of this, which, by the way, like, 90, like anything that's not Google or Facebook data is in there. Mm. So it's like, you know, say goodbye to like the cross site tracking, say goodbye to all the layers of targeting um, that you're used to being able to purchase as an advertiser off of platforms like Facebook and Google, right? So um, I, look, I think like at the end of the day that this is good for those things like, like things like creativity, um, where you actually have to appeal to somebody beyond just like at the really bottom of the purchase funnel. But, um, you know, this is going to have real ramifications for the advertising industry and the ecosystem that feeds off of it. But no Benedict, Benedict Evans, who, who's someone I follow very closely uh, and someone who is just very smart on all of these sorts of things, talks about the fact that like every 15 years, the technology kind of ecosystem has to reinvent itself. And we're pretty much getting to that point right mm -hmm. now, kind of post kind of social media. Um, and the platforms and technologies that like really prop that up. So this could very well be it. As small as, as it might feel or sound, when we just talk about it in the context of cookies, what we're really talking about is like the re-architecture of the internet advertising ecosystem. And, and yeah. that's probably going to be I, it. I think you're right. I, think, I don't think it's small in the least. In fact, I, I, there's something I just wrote about the, the shift away from the attention economy um, and it may be not going to happen overnight because it was an economy built over 15 years that created the world's biggest companies. But as we shift away from uh, the sort of uh, soup of people that look like you experience, uh, I think you're right as well, Ian. I think the, uh, the application of creativity, which is something that Gray uh, trades in, 
uh, is going to once again, I hope, I think, is going to become more important. The ability to, to cut through in a meaningful way rather than just because it knew specifically um, that you behave or have previously behaved in certain ways, I think, is a good thing for us. Um, <clears throat> anyway, number four, and that is Ian's. And Ian's going to talk to us about Google announcing AI photo printing. Speaking of scarcity. Uh, so, uh, so if you're a Google Photos user, so that's one slice, right? Um, Google will now send you 10 prints, like which are printed out photos, that will be automatically selected from your last 30 days of photos that you've taken. So the subscription program, it promises that you'll get your best memories delivered straight to your home every month. I mean, this is mind-blowing <laughs> to me. For the low, low cost of $8 a month. That's which low. For the my memories, I feel like, are worth way more than that, so that, that's, a, that's a great deal. Um, subscribers get four by six pictures printed on cardstock that features a one-eighth-inch border. All of this is like, I don't even understand that language I, like, I do like how important that border is, though. It is very, it's it's very important. Inch, I'm out. Well, if it's not, I mean, if it's not a border, it's just like you could print it out at y yourself, home, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so this isn't, I don't think it's a horrible idea. So um, I so, do. So wait, wait. <laughs> let, me, uh, let, let, let me explain. Okay. Continue, continue. So uh, people, and I guess predominantly Android users who use like Google Photos as their primary storage mechanism, um, could actually try this. And if you use Google Photos, you know that the digitally it surfaces like kind of slideshows and movies and things that you know you might find interesting. So the AI that is selecting all of this, and let's remember it is AI, is already doing that work. So why not give you something that you could put on your refrigerator, which really don't magnets don't stick to anymore. But anyway, <laughs> um, but here the, I think the reason why I think this is this can actually work is, is because of this. It reminded me of one of my all-time favorite blog posts. Um, it was a post on Crack.com. Oh uh, by a guy named David Wong, uh, and it was all about forced artificial scarcity, uh, or as he called it, farts. So um, in, that, in that piece, he wrote that, if I gave you a budget of zero dollars and said, get me as much internet porn as you can for that amount of money, how much would you come back with? Right? The answer would be all of it, mm -hmm. right? And so like, it is everywhere. Like, internet porn is the easiest thing to find. I know like, I have three kids, and, and it takes more work to keep them away from discovering it accidentally than, than <laughs> anything. So, um, the answer, so there's more porn than air, I guess, technically, because like, you can't make air, I guess, but you, your phone somehow with its battery like, can make porn while it's in your pocket, um, which is amazing. So photos or photographs, as Def Leppard used to say, right? They, they used to be scarce, so we actually bought them. If you remember this, we buy like we take our photos to the kiosk or CVS or whatever, and you get pictures back. Um, and it was hard to reproduce those photos, but that was kind of before digital photography. So now that we've got these like amazing cameras in our pocket, Ken Kenny's has, phone has three cameras yes. on it. Mine only has two. Um, with unlimited supplies of film, so to speak, right? We don't, we're not limited by that scarcity. Um, we could take infinite amounts of photos. So when was the last time any of you deleted a photo? I never, I don't know about you, I don't prune my never. photo album. I don't like go, oh, that was a bad photo delete. No, you just take another one. Mm. So we, we have like all these crappy photos on our phone. Um, and even if we were to go through our albums and scan for photos, like, you know, oh, reliving those memories, which I don't know if anyone really does anymore, no. unless like Facebook reminds mm -hmm. you of it in the feed. Um, so it's like, the, the, while Apple and Google are kind of duking it out over the quality of the photos that you take before you take it, or even like while you're taking it. This is an interesting take in that it says, all right, you're gonna take a lot of bad photos. There's no amount of technology that can cram into these cameras that make it better. We're gonna surface only the ones that are good. 
And more than that, we're gonna give you something that's incredibly scarce, which is an actual tangible photo that you can like, you know, give to your grandma or something or carry in your physical wallet that doesn't have any cash in it anymore. Um, so that's, I, I think there's interesting and in that as kind of where like photos have never been more plentiful, photographs have never been more scarce. So maybe there is something to be said about receiving something in the mail that's scarce for the low, low price of $7.99 every month. Let's open it, the flood. Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a like second. Jumping the gun. Let's open the floodgates. Go on, Ken. Go ahead. Okay. So let's get let's let's talk about this. Google is now using photographs in the U.S. Postal Service. So we're really getting down into the nostalgia play. Both here. need saving. Um, I will tell you. The, do, do tell us. I, I will tell you, the Super Bowl spot that Google did with Loretta and the emotional value of the memory, mm -hmm. I think is a very interesting human thing that spans generations. This will become kitsch. This is not some sort of long-term business play. Oh, I think, agree. I think that this agree. is this is timely yeah. based on what they are leaning into, which is the which is the the capturing and emotional connection to memories, which mm -hmm. I think is very nice. Um, I would like this a lot more if it were Facebook who were doing it. I would love if every year Facebook came to me and said, for $8, you could have the five most liked photos from your Facebook That's feed. That's only because you're not a Google Photos user, right? But, but even more so, it's like, to me, what they're doing is they're going into a closed area, which is your own photos, and they're using AI to select the ones from a quality perspective are the best, which might not necessarily be the memories that you want to capture mm. as the things you want to latch onto. Facebook and Instagram, who have the social layer on top of it, are able to say to you, these are the ones that your community interacted with the most. You could have them in your home. And that I actually kind of dig. I mean, so you... you Go on, please. I was going to say, the subscription model, I don't really get it. Within the last month, I can't tell you 10 photos that I would actually want to hang on my refrigerator or want to share in the real <laughs> in the real world, necessarily. Um, I think the subscription model is interesting, kind of unnecessary. I agree with Kenny. I think Facebook or another social platform that has like the aggregated photos for the last couple of years of my life, those are the photos that I want to share, not necessarily the ones that I took within the last 30 days. Mm. I do agree with you, by the way, that we are sort of moving into this, like, the era of nostalgia. So we're going to see more and more of these things. But, you know, I think you're right that it, they will fast become kitsch. Um, it's interesting, though, because this isn't, this isn't the first time this has been done. Actually, a friend of mine's company that he started probably six or seven years ago now, um, six years ago, was called Sticky Nine. And it basically took your nine top Instagram photos from that past month. Um, and it automatically sent them through a fulfillment process and then would deliver you nine fridge magnets of all of your Instagram photos, which you can then throw up onto your <laughs> fridge. And it was like, super not, cool. The case may be. It was super cool. Um, you do it once or twice and then it just got kind of, you know, boring. Then right, you have 600 I mean. magnets on your it's refrigerator. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't realize. As a subscription service, yeah. though, what's interesting is there's a set and forget component to it, but you're just going to become kind of overwhelmed by printed photos very quickly, right? Yeah. If there was a component, this is this is coming from the perspective of having parents or family that kind of aren't that close geographically to me and that like regularly will print out my photos from Facebook and put them on their fridge. If I could just like hook up my like close family and ha and distribute content to, to them, them well, automatically, that would be definitely You can, and you could say, like, I just want photos of pets or just of landscapes. Like, they have that, like, you're, 
basically we're trained. It's another way to train Google's AI when I'm not like clicking yeah. on traffic lights. Yes. Right. And so sometimes I feel like that is really my function in life. So yeah. uh, we'll training move on. AI. But two, training AI. Two, two thoughts on this from me. One is, let's bring it back to the brand thing for a second. If you're a brand that's in travel, right, and the opportunity for you to partner with Google to say to your consumers or your customers that, you know, it, we, we, we recognize that this was a trip. Do you, know, do you want us to send you, do you want Expedia to pay for eight of those pictures from your trip to Cambodia two weeks ago? I think that's a nice delivery. I think that's nice. personalizing and tailoring why and when I get these is cool rather than just yeah. blanketing you, I agree. The second point, much more important actually than the first point, is the carbon footprint thing, yeah. right? We Same can't trees. get away from that. It's a backward <laughs> step yet again. Each yeah. email you send is th has a three gram carbon footprint, right? That's crazy. Whether you read it or not, that's what it gets, right? So how, how big is it for these things? It's substantial. And uh, increasingly, I think it's ridiculous. Um, mm. Anyway, that's my rant over. So number five, <laughs> Kenny, good luck with this one, bud. We like to leave you with the funnest ones. Facebook was hacked. How did you do it, Ken? Yeah, so let's talk about it a little bit. There is a company that is called Our Mind. They're a hacking group. And basically what they did was they hacked the Twitter and, in, and Instagram accounts for Facebook to prove the point that anyone is hackable and to raise awareness about uh, protecting yourself from cyber vulnerabilities. You know, th this isn't shocking. It's not surprising to me that Facebook is hackable. Everybody is hackable. But I like the I like the notion that they are using the real world example with a mass footprint to be able to raise awareness about cybersecurity and the need to protect yourself. Uh, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. We shouldn't beat this one dead. Well, it's, but not, it's, it's not new. I mean, the, the, there are tons of groups that have been doing this for a long time, right? I mean, there's the, there's the bounty hunting part of this as well, which was, I don't know whether they do it anymore, but it used to be that You'd find a you'd find a hole in one of the platforms, and you'd let them know this hole exists, and, and Facebook would pay you for for exposing that hole. So, what, why is this different? Because it was the public facing. No, I think this is just this is a known <clears throat> hacking group. They have hacked Jack Dorsey's account. They have hacked other places, and I think pr they they are almost like a hacking Robin Hood. Like, they like they, an advocacy group? They are, no, they are just a hacking group that goes out there and they attack corporations and high profile individuals. It, honestly, they claim that they do it to show the lack of security, but it also, honestly, I think they're instructing victims on how to really safeguard themselves against this kind of thing. Are they also I, selling the solution? Yeah. yeah. So it's like the mob breaking in your windows and saying, yeah. hey, if you give us $100 a month, none of this will happen. Yeah, this, this won't happen. <laughs> it's right, it's racketeering. So, the, yeah, so yeah. there you go. Okay, yeah. so let's just inform the Senate committee on whatever get them on a phone because that because that like last five things as it turns out was just like not that interesting to anyone should we talk about bloomberg's memes is it going to be relevant for next week yes. if we move yes. it to next week okay can we, really came out can we give it proper air next week then is that cool totally yes okay. and i'll uh, cover it yeah. all right and this probably won't get edited out either no, we should leave this in. We should totally leave it. <laughs> Warts and all. Yeah. All right, fine. I love that we're all here in person, by the way. On so next week's better. five things, you're going to be able to hear about... Including Toby's words. Bloomberg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. So, anything else to say on the Facebook thing being hacked? Right. I think we're, we're, we're pretty much out of time. So, our listeners' commutes are coming to an end, right? Um, I, uh, a couple of things. One is, I, I want to suggest that for the folks listening, if you have a five thing you want us to talk about... Or, or a thing. Or a thing. Just a thing. That would fit into the five things. Yes. Specifically around social and digital. I mean, don't don't send us your problems otherwise. That's a different podcast. Mm -hmm. um, go into the notes and email us uh, and let us know what you'd like to hear about from us. Um, a quick round the room of thanks. Uh, Ian Schaefer, 
thank you so much for coming to see us. I know you're based in New York, but it's still taking an hour or so out of your day. I appreciate it very much. No, thank give, you for bringing up the notion of sustainability in this conversation. Uh, it's it's yeah. important. Uh, give us the headline again and the URL for the yeah, for the so, conference. Yeah, uh, so if you go to kindred.live, that's the URL, um, you'll be able to uh, purchase your pass, or even if you're a brand decision maker, um, attend for free. And it's May, San Diego? It's May 11th to the 14th at the San Diego Convention awesome, Center. Man. I will be there. Ian. Thank you, Toby. Can't wait. Appreciate yeah. that. San Diego, you, I'm in. Uh, Andy, thanks for being with us again. You Thank came you back. Thank you for having me. I came back. You didn't scare me off. That's awesome. <laughs> Kenny Gold, Toby Daniels, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, good to be back. And we'll see you next week for Five Things. Thank you. The Five Things is produced by Andrew Petty, Joey Scarillo, and Christina Torres, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.